Peace be upon you. So the definition of bigotry is the intolerance towards others who hold different opinions from oneself. Sadly, some believers have adopted this shortcoming as a virtue towards other submitters in faith. Their logic for such reasoning is the following. They believe that their understanding is 100% from God that comes from the Quran. Therefore, if someone has a deferring understanding on some topic of the Quran, they must be following another source other than that of God and the Quran. And if someone is following a source beside that of God and the Quran, then that person, by definition, is a hypocrite and idol worshiper. So what is wrong with this level of reasoning? The simple fallacy is that these individuals who hold this belief fail to distinguish between God's words in the Quran and their interpretation of God's words in the Quran. The two are not the same. When we fail to realize that, we fall into this mindset to think that our understanding and the words of God and the Quran are one and the same. Obviously, that's what we strive for. But a true believer has enough humility to realize that their growth, their understanding is constantly evolving. Take the example of two people who read a verse and walk away with different understandings of that verse. Now, this could fall into one of three camps. Either one party is right and the other party is wrong, or both parties are wrong, or both parties are right and they're just viewing it from different angles. This is similar to the parable of the three blind men and the elephant, where each one is inspecting a different aspect of the elephant. One is touching the legs and saying, oh, it's like a tree. One is touching the trunk and saying, oh, it's like a snake. The other is touching the tail and saying, oh, it's like a rope. Now, the reality is all three of them are right, but they're looking at it from different angles. If someone believes that their understanding is the absolute truth, then they're automatically going to assume that the other people are working with erroneous information as opposed to just seeing it from a different perspective. God tells us in the Quran that no one knows the true meaning of God's words except God and those who are knowledgeable. In 3.7 it reads, He sent down to you this scripture containing straightforward verses which constitute the essence of the scripture as well as multiple meaning or allegorical verses. Those who harbor doubts in their hearts will pursue the multiple meaning verses to create confusion and to extricate a certain meaning. None knows the true meaning thereof except God and those well founded in knowledge. They say we believe in this. All of it comes from our Lord. Only those who possess intelligence will take heed. Notice that they say all of it comes from my Lord, meaning that they understand that there's more to it than what they might potentially even see. The paradox of someone who is knowledgeable is that such a person would never assume they have the absolute understanding on every topic. A knowledgeable person would have enough humility to realize that they will always have more to learn. And a humble person will welcome hearing different understandings as it will allow them to either correct their ways if they are wrong or refine their understanding as they seek to grow closer to the true meaning of the verses of the Quran by having their views challenged. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, it reads, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Even if someone has a differing opinion that I know is wrong, by hearing their challenges, their argument, I can better refine my understanding to identify where are the shortcomings, where are the questions that are not answered. And it's only by being receptive to other people's understandings, irrespective if they're right or wrong, it allows me to grow and develop my own understanding. A sign of someone who lacks knowledge, on the other hand, is one whose mind is made up on all matters of faith. 
such a person believes that they have no more to learn and thus their minds will be blocked from growing in understanding. In Surah 41 verse 5, they said, Our minds are made up, our ears are deaf to your message, and a barrier separates us from you. Do what you want and so will we. Surah 288 reads, Some would say our minds are made up. Instead, it is a curse from God as a consequence of their disbelief that keeps them from believing except for a few of them. The reason for this paradox is that the more a person learns, the more they understand how little they know. Imagine a circle that encompasses the total sum of how much a person knows, and the circumference being the awareness of how much they don't know, such that as the circle expands, so does the circumference of identifying what it is that the person doesn't know. So as their circle of knowledge increases through learning, so does their circumference of ignorance. Therefore, a less knowledgeable person not only knows less than someone who is more knowledgeable, but they also have less understanding of how much they don't know. If someone doesn't realize how little they know, they're less inclined to be humble. Alternatively, the more a person learns, the more they realize the limits to their knowledge, thus increasing their humility. This is often depicted as the Dunning-Kruger effect, where someone who has a little bit of knowledge overestimates how well they understand the material or how well they will be able to perform because they don't understand all the elements that are missing in their viewpoint. I used to work with someone in uh, embedded design and this individual hands down is probably one of the most talented engineers in the space in the world. And it was interesting because he would be asked to speak on panels on some other subject matter that he still compared to the average person would be considered an expert. Because he understood what it meant to truly be an expert, he'd always pass and say, oh, I'm not qualified to speak on that. Because in his circles, in his realm of understanding, he wasn't comparing himself against the average person. He was comparing himself against other world-renowned experts that he believed understood the subject matter better than he did. Despite the fact that both these individuals, compared to the average techie, is exponentially more knowledgeable in this space. And that's the level of humility that knowledge instills into a person, that they realize the shortcomings of their understanding. Now, someone on the other hand who believes they already know everything, there's a proverb that perfectly encompasses this by the Stoic philosopher Epictetus. It reads, it's impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. Someone who believes they already know the answer, they're not going to learn. They're not going to be receptive because what's there to learn? They already know it. So you'd just be speaking on deaf ears. Now, such a mentality will make it incredibly challenging for any follower of the Quran because the Quran is packed with embedded information that God releases to mankind at the appropriate time to the, those who seek and are sincere. If someone believes they already know the answer, then they will never seek. And because they believe they already have the absolute truth, therefore they're not sincere. One can read the Quran thousands of times and still learn new insights each time they open up this amazing book. And as believers, we are constantly striving to better understand God's words in the Quran. We can read a verse a thousand times and still be able to pull new insight, new wisdom that we didn't see before. For someone to think they have the correct understanding, the absolute truth on all matters that the Quran covers is pure arrogance. Does this mean that we accept any and all interpretations of the Quran? No, absolutely not. Then how do we decide 
when an interpretation has gone too far and should be rejected. The baseline I like to use is twofold. Firstly, we shouldn't have the same level of faith for everything we believe. The more core a belief we have, the more stringent we need to be towards that belief. For instance, does it make sense to believe that Shweb and Moses' father-in-law were one and the same person to the same degree of faith as we believe that there's only one God? If we do, then we are either not believing the oneness of God as strongly as we should or putting too strong of a belief on less important matters than we should. Because of this, it makes sense to leave room for interpretation for certain matters in the chance that we have the wrong understanding or potentially overlooking some detail on the matter. Secondly, God tells us that individuals will move from stage to stage in life. Today, someone might have a wrong understanding on some topic, but later they may come to the correct understanding on that belief. If we expect everyone to be at the same level of understanding on every topic, then it shows that we are lacking in patience and tolerance for others. I knew someone who, when they got into the message and wanted to follow the Quran alone, that they saw that they had to do ablution before performing their salat and that God commanded them to wash, so they understood that to mean with soap. So for a while, they were insisting that you have to wash with soap. Now, obviously, this is an erroneous belief, but the aspect is if the community cut off this person ahead of time and didn't allow them to grow in understanding and come to the same conclusion as everyone else, then we would be doing a disservice to that individual and to the community at large. We have to give people time. We have to give people room for them to navigate these matters on their own rather than other people dictating to them their understanding or their interpretation. In Surah 6 verse 52 we read, And do not dismiss those who implore their Lord day and night, devoting themselves to Him alone. You are not responsible for their reckoning, nor are they responsible for your reckoning. If you dismiss them, you will be a transgressor. God is clarifying for us in no uncertain terms that if we dismiss someone who's dedicated to God alone, that we would be falling into the camp of being a transgressor. So we need to give people the benefit of the doubt, to give people time, to express tolerance, to allow people to come to these understandings on their own. In Surah 4 verse 94 it says, O you who believe, if you strike in the cause of God, you shall be absolutely sure. Do not say to one who offers you peace, you are not a believer, seeking the spoils of this world, for God possesses infinite spoils. Remember that you used to be like them, and God blessed you. Therefore, you shall be absolutely sure before you strike. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. This verse, again, it's informing us that yes, there's going to be some people that we will be able to label as disbelievers, as hypocrites. But we shouldn't do this loosey-goosey. Uh, God is informing us, remember that you used to be like them, and God blessed you. Therefore, if we're going to write someone off as no longer being a believer, we have to be absolutely certain because we do not want to fall into the camp of potentially being a transgressor. I personally like to utilize the tactic that the person themselves says, look, I no longer believe in this. I no longer believe in the Quran. I no longer believe in uh, the, the worship of God alone, whatever that may be. And once they self-identify on their own merit, they will no longer be part of the believers. So how do we handle disputes that inevitably are going to happen in a congregation? 
God commands the followers of the Quran that we are never allowed to be aggressors and that oppression is worse than murder. Now these verses I'm going to read are in the context of war, but the rules still apply. By no means can a believer be justified in being an aggressor, be it physically or in speech, over others. It reads in 2.190-193, through 193, it says, You may fight in the cause of God against those who attack you, but do not aggress. God does not love the aggressors. You may kill those who wage war against you, and you may evict them whence they evicted you. Oppression is worse than murder. Do not fight them at the sacred masjid unless they attack you therein. If they attack you, you may kill them. This is the just retribution for those disbelievers. If they refrain, then God is forgiver, most merciful. You may also fight them to eliminate oppression and to worship God freely. If they refrain, you shall not aggress. Aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. We can never be justified in being an aggressor, even physically or verbally. If someone attacks us, we are allowed to retaliate. But we should never create an environment where people fear the reprisal for sharing their opinion. We shall always be equitable in our dealings. In a congregation, if a dispute arises, it is more important that we maintain the correct behavior than we address the correct understanding. So how does this look in practice? Let's assume a dispute arises between two believers regarding a topic of the Quran. God informs us that when we debate the people of the scripture who haven't accepted the faith, that we debate with them in the best possible manner. So how much better are we supposed to debate when we're dealing with people inside our own community? In Surah 16, verse 125, it reads, You shall invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom and kind enlightenment, and debate with them in the best possible manner. Your Lord knows best who has strayed from his path, and he knows best who are the guided ones. So we should extend the believers in our community who are our brethren in faith with even more respect and tolerance than outsiders. It would be absurd to think that we're supposed to debate with people of the scripture who don't accept our faith in the best possible manner to use wisdom and kind enlightenment, but amongst the believers to be harsh and stern and nasty. God continues on in 16.126, And if you punish, you shall inflict an equivalent punishment. But if you resort to patience instead of revenge, it would be better for the patient ones. Meaning, let's say in a community, someone makes a nasty comment or a comment that can be interpreted in a bad way, that we should resort to patience. We should give the person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe something came up uh, to give that room for that individual to God willing act amicably. Now let's assume that the two parties, they continue to have conflict, they continue to badger one another, and it escalates into aggressive behavior. Then it's the duty of the neutral party to first establish peace between the two parties that are uh, in conflict before they address the topic of contention. If one party continues to aggress after the reconciliation, it is the responsibility of the neutral party to fight the aggressing side until they submit, then all parties can be reconciled once again. And this comes from Surah 49 verse 9. It reads, If two groups of believers fought with each other, you shall reconcile them. If one group aggresses against the other, you shall fight the aggressing group until they submit to God's command. Once they submit, you shall reconcile the two groups equitably. You shall maintain justice. God loves those who are just. God is informing us. That before we even address what the, the topic of contention is, 
that first we address the behavior. Because if the behavior is lacking, there is no point in addressing the topic. Because that comes secondary, we have to make sure that we first establish amicable relations among the believer. Once these amicable relations are established among all parties involved, then the parties can discuss on the matter for as long as it needs to take. So long as parties are willing to engage amicably. The second that one party stops engaging amicably, it's the duty again of the neutral party to make sure that things are back to a peaceful state. Let's say now one party decides they no longer want to discuss the topic. Let's say they're in the minority. They don't want to discuss it. Does it is it justified for the group the, that is in the majority to continue hammering home this point when one party is showing or indicating that they no longer want to talk about the subject matter? The takeaway to this is that if someone is requesting space, that they need time to think, they don't want to engage in it, that as a believing community, we respect that individual. If one party indicates that they need, they don't want to discuss the matter anymore, they need some space, this is a sign to the other party that they have to refrain from discussing the matter and respect the other party's request. Now, where does this interpretation come from? This comes from Surah 58, which is, happens to be entitled The Debate, verse 11. In this verse, we see how God commands us to behave with one another in a congregation. That if someone needs space, we should give them their space. It reads, O you who believe, if you are told, please make room, you shall make room for each other to sit. God will then make room for you. If you are asked to get up and move, get up and move. God raises those among you who believe and those who acquire knowledge to higher ranks. God is fully cognizant of everything you do. God, again, is informing us that if someone needs space, we give them space. This is a commandment among the congregations. Meaning that if someone is saying, look, you're overbearing me, you're, you're uh, uh, oppressing me with speech, that we respect that individual and we refrain from discussing the matter until they're ready, until it's an uh, environment where they feel comfortable to discuss if they choose to. But there's a tendency to wanting to force our opinions onto other people. And God is telling us this is not the correct way to go about it. By all means, we can share understandings, we can share opinions. But when it comes to the point where we're using this as a baton towards other people, then it's only our egos that we are trying to please. So what's the conclusion of all this? As believers, we have a tremendous responsibility to make sure that our example is a good one and that our communities are inviting and not repulsing those who are in our community, let alone those who are interested to hear the message. If the example we set for others cause people to be repelled from the message, then we could be committing a horrendous sin and be partially responsible for the sins of all those we cause to turn away from the message. In Surah 4 verse 85, it says, Whoever mediates a good deed receives a share of the credit thereof, and whoever mediates an evil work incurs a share thereof. God controls all things. If we create an environment that causes more people to come to the faith, God willing, we get a share of that credit for each of those people. But similarly, if we cause, if our behavior causes people to be repelled by the message, we also share part of their sin. And what a sin that is to think that it's our actions that cause someone to be repelled from the message. In Surah 3, verse 99 and 100, it says, O followers of the scripture, why do you repel from the path of God those who wish 
to believe and seek to distort it, even though you are witnesses. God is never unaware of anything you do. O you who believe, if you obey some of those who receive the scripture, they will revert you after having believed into disbelievers. God is informing us that this is a continuous problem that has happened in the previous believing communities, in the previous generations. Are we going to take heed or are we going to fail and make the same mistakes and be plagued with division and secretarianism like has happened in the previous communities? God warned the previous communities and he's warning our community that if we fail to take heed, if we fail to correct our ways, then we will be substituted. We will be replaced with other people who are more righteous than we are. In Surah 47, verse 38, it reads, If you turn away, he will substitute other people in your place, and they will not be like you. But if, on the other hand, we choose instead to fix our errors, to correct our ways, then God can reconcile our hearts. He can give us one more chance to redeem ourselves and fulfill the requirements to be included as part of God's believing community. In Surah 3, verse 103 through 105, it reads, You shall hold fast the rope of God, all of you, and do not be divided. Recall God's blessings upon you. You used to be enemies and he reconciled your hearts. By his grace you became brethren. You were at the brink of a pit of fire and he saved you therefrom. God thus explains his revelations for you that you may be guided. Let there be a community of you who invite to what is good, advocate righteousness and forbid evil. These are the winners. Do not be like those who became divided and disputed despite the clear proofs that were given to them, for these have incurred a terrible retribution. So God willing, let's not make the same mistakes of the generations in the past, the communities of the past. Let's be more tolerant. Let's apply the verses of the Quran as they are given to us and not bend them to fit our own personal desires. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, please hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com. If you guys want to follow along with the verses and see a word-for-word -word literal translation of the Quran, please download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store or go to the QuranStudyApp.com website where you can see a word-for-word -word breakdown of the Arabic Quran along with seeing how the word is used throughout the entire Quran for any given root. And God willing, understand why these verses are translated this way. And if you like the uh, the podcast, please share it with other people. Subscribe, leave us a review, um, and then this way we can grow our uh, community. Uh, and until next time, peace and God bless.